Welcome to Movie Moments, discussing the greatest movies of all time, plus all the newest films in theaters and streaming. Like us, rate us, share us. Here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry. All right, we're back with another edition of Movie Moments. Mike Rags and Chuck Curry talking the world of movies. Lots to do today. It's John Travolta's birthday. Oh, my gosh, he's approaching 70 years old. Now, he's not as relevant as he was about 30 years ago, but uh, or even 40 years ago, or even 50 years ago. But we're going to look back at our 10 favorite Travolta movies of all time, and I doubt there'd be any in the last 20 years. But we'll get to that in a bit. We've got some movie news on the way as well. And, uh, of course, we'll talk about the newest releases in theaters for Valentine's Day and beyond. Uh, not with a bang, but a whimper for Madam Webb. Let's bring in Chuck Curry right now. Chuck, uh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Um, not good reviews. Not good box office returns. Madam Webb, uh, they counted on the Spider-Man brand, but it didn't come through. Uh, you know, it's, uh, first of all, how you doing, Mike? I'm well, thank you. I'm well. Okay, okay. I, I appreciate the uh, the warm introduction, but <laughs> uh, but but yeah, um, Madam Web opened to some stupendously awful reviews. You know, it's tough to survive in this day and age of social media and the YouTube bloggers who are just gunning uh, for negativity. And that movie was designed or set up for negativity. I, I, you know, when they greenlit that film, I was sort of perplexed why they would do it. I mean, Sony has a history with what they've done, Morbius, you know, setting these movies in the Spider-Man universe without Spider-Man, um, you know, I think it's like 18% positive, Madam Web. Some of the reviews are just disastrous. I'm saying that the movie's one of the worst films ever shot. We know that's not the case. I'm sure it's fairly watchable. It's ill-advised. It's certainly not going to motivate me to go to a theater to uh, see it. Six-day uh, opening, that's what they're doing since Valentine's Day it opened on Wednesday and we got presence day this week. And so Wednesday through Monday, it's tracking around a $22 million six day opening. That's horrendous on an $80 million budget. The Bob Marley docu, uh, 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 biopic, uh, actually performing a lot better, 44 million in his first six days of, uh, release, you know, off the top of my head, cause I know we'll veer into this, but I don't want to forget that. Uh, it was just announced in terms of these, these biopic musical, uh, movies, uh, Ridley Scott, who's now 86 years old, coming off uh, directing Gladiator 2, which will come out next year, signing on with Paramount Pictures to do a document, uh, I mean, a biopic based on the life of the Bee Gees. Uh, Bee Gees. Um, I like this genre. You got I Bohemian Rhapsody. And that, that's I like a this good topic, too. That's going to have a lot of great music in it. No no doubt. I mean, you know, Saturday Night Fever in 1977, they had the, the highest selling soundtrack of all time for a theatrical film, a lot of backstory, a lot of ups, downs, sadness in their life. What I find amazing is Ridley Scott at 86, still going extremely strong, very viral, uh, viral, uh, strong, mentally sharp, unlike some other people in our culture. Uh, how does he do it? How, how does he do it, Mike? I don't know, but I think it's funny they're calling it Gladiator 2. It just seems a little odd. Like, would you call a sequel to Ben-Hur, Ben-Hur 2, or uh, The Ten Commandments 2? I mean, because I revere Gladiator mm. in those kind of epic movies. I, I mean, I don't know. Gladiator 2 just seems a little funny to me, but I, I'm certainly looking forward to it. And I definitely look forward to the Bee Gees movies. There's a great documentary on Max, if you ever want to see it, on the Bee Gees and Barry Gibb, who is the only one 
still with us. But yeah, I mean, it just yeah. goes to show you if you it probably if you eat well and you stay healthy and exercise and and you keep busy, your mind will remain sharp. There's no doubt about it. And that's probably the fact that he's kept working has probably lent himself to be able to keep making movies at 86. You know, you know, Spielberg's yeah, no young puppy anymore either. Yeah. None of these guys are, you know, Scorsese, look at him. He's uh, he's 80, right? He's close to it. And he's no, still he's pumping out of epics uh, over epics over epics. So, yeah, and, and, and he's in his 90s. Yeah, I mean, keep working and stay sharp. Plus, look, they've got the best health care and, you know, fitness programs money can buy. Let's face it, they that among the wealthy, that probably helps as well just to have the best resources to stay alert at that age. But, hey, more power to you because there's not another Ridley Scott coming down the pike anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, I, I just read an article from one of the trades that said that Paramount, uh, which is the studio that's financing Gladiator 2 and the distributor, is a static over the dailies that they have uh, seen. They, 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 they love, they absolutely love what they see. I mean, the original Gladiator, Russell Crowe, won the Oscar for Best Picture, I believe, in 2000. Hard to believe what two and a half decades removed from that. No, he's uh, got it. Because he's, he's got a movie out this weekend that nobody even knows is out. It's called Land of Bad that, you know, co-stars, uh, I think, Chris Hemsworth, one of the Hemsworth, Liam Hemsworth. So did you know Russell yes, Crowe had a movie Liam. this weekend? Nobody did. So it just goes to show you how the mighty have fallen. Um, and it wasn't that long ago when the nice guys came out that we both love, you know, that might've been his last big time picture that, you know, was bankrolled because he was in it. Uh, I I'd love to see a sequel to that movie with him and Ryan Gosling. Uh, but these are things that will probably never happen. Um, it, it's, it's and speaking of the land of bad. I did get to see a new movie. I, so I watched players on Netflix with Gina Rodriguez. Um, it's not very good, but I watched it. <laughs> another new movie that went straight to Netflix. It tries to be a modern day, I guess uh, about last night, a bunch of young 20 year olds trying to score in the big city, New York city and how they play innocent bystanders to um, have sex with them and stuff. It's supposed to be funny. Um, I guess I like her. And they were, she had a great show. Was it Jane, the Virgin that was on TV. She was really good and appealing one in golden globe. But other than that, it, I mean, players on Netflix, catch it. I don't know what to tell that, you with that, these, these that, movies that, that just keep coming out. Endorsement. <laughs> well, and then you got another one, the, the, the J-Lo movies on Prime. Did you watch that, Chuck, over the – I, I, I just – I did not. I, 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 watch a tra- I watch a trailer when it, when it, when it popped. It, it appears she keeps just banging out these director stream uh, features. Uh, honestly, for, I don't have an interest. Thing, I, didn't li- I didn't like the trailer. Uh, honestly, she was the highlight of Super Bowl commercials, though. The Dunkings was, for me, probably the best thing that was – produced over the over the weekend for the super bowl that and and she was good i mean they were all very very funny in in that uh dunk king's commercial i agree uh, let's talk about some of the trailers that aired during the super bowl mm-hmm. first and four, four, first and four, 365 million people online after the uh the trailer to deadpool wolverine yeah. aired during the super bowl what they did during super bowl since 30 seconds cost seven million dollars they did teaser trailers and then they tell yes. you to watch online, right? Yes. So 365 yes. million people online watch Deadpool. Wolverine, smart, smart marketing, which is a new, which is a new 24 hour, uh, watch trailer record by, uh, about 80 million eyeballs. Um, yeah. I got to tell you, I'm not the biggest fan of Deadpool. I'll be perfectly honest, but I got to tell you, this trailer was good. This yeah, trailer good was be- very good. It, it doesn't hurt to have Hugh Jackman back as a, as an old school Wolverine. So I, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. 
Um, I know my nephews were pumped up about it. Um, as far as all the, I mean, I don't know if there was any trailer that I, that made me jump out of my seat. Um, you know, we talked about a quiet place day one. I mean, okay. Um, did, was there Twisters? anything? What'd Twisters Twisters was interesting. I think it might play. I really do. I think it might. It's been long enough. It looks very similar I, to the original. I think it, I I got think a, it might I got play. A que- I got a question for you. Glenn Powell, who obviously gained a lot of notoriety, you know, playing the cocky uh, character in Top Gun Maver- Maverick. Uh, he saves Maverick in that film. Yeah. I mean, that's yes. an awesome session. You know, actually, me and my wife watched it the other day at a shop. Uh, that movie's awesome. It just is awesome. That's one of the best studio genre films made in the last 20 years, Top Gun Maverick, in my opinion. Right. So but, then he gets. But does that attitude, you know, it looks like he's playing the same. Here's, kind that's of my that, that, that's my question. Here's here's my now he's in the hit with Sidney Sweeney. Uh, yeah. Anybody, anyone but you. Right. Right. Is that the title? OK, so I'm watching the trailer to Twisters. My first reaction to it was. I liked it. It made me want to see it, but the effects. They didn't look as good as the original film. <laughs> well, they look as good or, or you know, or not, you know, almost maybe as they're good. Not, maybe, maybe they're not finished. But here's the thing. I, I look at him in this his character that he's playing in this film, and I say to myself, can he only play cocky? Well, like, yeah, that's the, the funny thing is when I first saw him pop up on film, I'm like, oh, so basically the Carrie Elwes character is going to be the hero in this, right? Yes. <laughs> you um, know, it's funny you say that because when I heard he was cast before, you know, I saw this trailer or any footage, the first thing that popped in my head was, oh, he's going to play the Carrie Elwes type character, type character, right? But yeah. that character is a heel, right? He's 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 the schmo of of uh, right, of yeah. Twister. Glenn Powell's the hero. So they sort of, it's, it's really, he's going to, I, I he, would say in the next, his, his career, the way he's going to play out is going to be interesting because I look at him and I say, I, he's just cocky. Like he does cocky really well. And obviously he's a, he's a good looking, handsome guy. I would, um, I would tell you, do not be surprised if he takes a backseat to Daisy Edgar Jones in this movie. And they're just putting him out front because maybe. of the star power right now. Now, now who I, is she? I, I, she was very appealing in the trailer. I'm not familiar. Who is she? She's very good. Um, if you want to see a good movie with her, and um, she did a movie, I believe it's on Hulu right now, that I really like. It's called Fresh, and it co-stars Sebastian Stan. It's a good horror movie about uh, cannibalism. But she was the lead in Where the Crow Dads um, Sing, that movie that came out a couple years ago. She's been on a, uh, she's in a documentary Under the Banner of Heaven with uh, Andrew Garfield that's been on I believe that's on Hulu as well. Um, a British actress, but she's very, very appealing. I think I think that's where we're heading because Glenn Powell is almost too good looking. I don't know. He just looks like a like just a very good looking country western singer who's made him who's now a movie yeah, star. And and not that this yeah, is yeah, all he's bad. Getting shot. Not, he's getting I mean, he's getting a shot. Yeah, look, Ryan Reynolds and 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 uh, he's extremely good looking and he pulls it off. But again, he yeah. plays cocky a lot. But we also we like Ryan Reynolds more when he's in the smaller movies, like you know, definitely maybe in the movie with uh, Helen Mirren that he did, where he just tones it down a bit. Where I don't know, we haven't seen Glenn Powell do that yet. Well, that's why Bill Paxton was perfect. He's just good looking enough to look like every guy you know, and that's why he was appealing on screen, you know. Um, and he was always well, vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. It just is an interesting vulnerability is a big part of it, Chuck. Oh, 100%. Like, like again, just so the audience, you know, this is a fun part of, of movie history. When they when they were casting for Twister, the original, uh, 
Tom t- Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks were right there to get that role. I think I think uh, I think it was Tom Hanks who actually did a table reading with the cast, and then they wound up at the last minute passing, and then Tom I believe it was Tom Hanks was friends with Bill Paxton and suggested Paxton uh, as the lead to the producers, and you know the rest of movie history, and that's the way a lot of films work. You know they look at different people. Uh, who 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 they want, uh, and then a lot of for whatever reason, you know, actors have initial interest, and in, and then they get some another project, they get a scheduling conflict, they wind up passing. To me, you know, we both love B- Bill Paxton, but Bill Paxton, in a lot of his career, was known for uh, goofy characters like in Weird Science and, and Aliens, and even Predator Predator Two, right? And then he got his shot is the lead in Twister and he killed it. He was, he was awesome. And, you know, his pairing with Helen Hunt is, is super good. And that hook of, you know, the estranged couple re- reunite, uh, like they, you know, they did in the abyss, uh, in, 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 in other, in other, it always works. It, it, it always works, but you know, I, I love Bill Paxton in, in, in Twister, Mike, we'll see how this one, uh, plays out. I got, I know this wasn't during the Super Bowl. They just released a trailer to this, this week, the Kong, X Godzilla. I know what does X mean? Like meets. I, yeah, um, I guess you get yeah, a chance I, to watch it. I did. I, pl- I mean, there's plenty of CGI. It looks like a Planet plenty. of the Apes Some movie. Looks like a Planet of the Apes movie. I, no, but here, here, here's the thing. In, in full disclosure, I, I've now watched the trailer about seven times. Why? Because okay, I'm gonna tell you why. First time I watched it, I was like, oh lord like i'm in the wrong decade like the way they way they make okay they make movies these studios now because they can right they they can create right. big right. things on screen not necessarily that they should do it but they have the ability to do it they know if they put godzilla and king kong in a movie they're going to create interest the question is can they have enough script in a hook to make this you know i know this sounds silly even saying it can they make it believable so I watched the trailer initially. And I go, oh boy, that's pretty silly. And I watched it again and again. And then I, I got to tell you, I laughed out loud when the guy says, "Oh, it's a baby Kong." Yeah, the <laughs> baby know? Kong and, okay. was funny. I will give him that. Yeah, the, the baby, baby Kong, Kong funny. is funny. And yeah. then when 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 you hear the voiceover, uh, when somebody says Kong can't do this by himself, <laughs> and the next voice says he won't be alone. And then you see Godzilla pop up and then Kong's right behind him. The first thing I think of Mike, I think they're in a tag team match and they're going to be slapping hands. Well, uh, it, it, it's very WWE. Um, it does. It, it, that's listen, exactly what it looks it like. Even the poster the looks like they're, it is. They're, they're, try, they're trying to garner the family audience. Listen, unless this movie's terrible, it's going to make money because the people are going to people. This one looks more fun than yeah, the last one, which is what between COVID and theaters. Right. And I mean, it looks like a Transformers movie. It likes every, every big budget thing that's come down the pike in the last 10 years. looks like it's part of this. What's Rebecca Hall doing in this movie? I, yeah. I just she's don't... getting paid. Well, they need somebody to anchor it. Right. Yeah. So he, but you know, even re- she's not enough though. I mean, I love her to death, but mainstream audiences probably don't know who she no, is. Th- no, I agree. But here's the thing. You see Kong with the, they put the, they put a mechanical, device on, transformers on there you go transformers right. now th- think about when we actually saw in the 1970s uh the dino de laurentis john gillian uh 
production of King Kong with with Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lange. I a little mean, different. It, it, yeah, a little different. I mean, there was no way Kong was going to have a mechanical hand <laughs> in that one. I mean, the, the style of filmmaking, the bombastic nature of, of what they do. It's like I said, the reason they're doing this is they, they basically the studio bean counters say we want a Kong Godzilla movie. We can do it. We got the technology to do this. And then they they they, they hire a director. They get a screenwriting team, and basically they start saying their prayers now, and, and 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 hoping they could get a plot device in a, in a halfway believable script to, to flush it out and, and and make it coherent. In fairness to the in fairness to the producers, yeah. Um, if they could have done this back in the day with the Japanese Godzilla movies, they'd look exactly like this. So really, just because they have the budget now, is this is is this any different than you know the Godzilla versus you know megalon whatever the hell they were called back in the day no Mm -hmm. you know at least now maybe they are just taking it as hey let's just have fun with this who cares about it appears that way i agree it appears it appears this one looks like it could be fun let's see how it plays out listen i want to talk about this story because we talked about this last week and it's really interesting because i was saying to you off air when i when i did the interview with eli roth which you could hear on our on our archive archive i I threw him a curveball question and i asked him his opinion on streaming theatrically and Doug, Doug Lehman's in, uh, 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 hoopla in the open letter about Roadhouse going straight to streaming and not going theatrical. And his reaction, I thought, was really interesting. And this week, uh, one of the stories uh, and the big stories that Variety published an article stating that uh, Doug Lehman, who wrote an open letter that he was going to boycott a film festival uh, to promote roadhouse because it's going straight to streaming that him as a director joel silver as a producer jake gyllenhaal as the star had a sit-down meeting at amazon when they took over mgm roadhouse was greenlit by mgm went into turnaround and amazon buys mgm takes the project out of turnaround tells those three people that will give you 75 million to produce this movie and share it amongst yourself however you see fit if it goes straight to streaming on as amazon prime or if it goes theatrical first, we'll give you a $60 million budget. And they agreed to $75 million to stream it. So the question, Mike, is why did Doug Lehman take that stance? Why did Joe Silver go ballistic, according to the article, and fight like hell to get released theatrically after he agreed to a streaming deal? And why has Jake Gyllenhaal said nothing? What, what yeah. do you think on this story? Yeah, I was a little surprised when I read the part about they had a choice and they chose the 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 uh maybe they didn't know what they had until they were done filming i don't know but um to me the movie Mm -hmm. about the making of this movie is going to be more interesting than the actual movie (laughs) because it seems like there's a lot of drama um that uh, would make a great script to figure out what went wrong in the modern day of making movies um look at it, it they blew it everybody here looks like they made bad decisions and the movie in the end the fans they pay the, well, actually the movie owners, the movie theater owners pay the price for it. But I think every decision and that's by everybody has been a bad decision, whether it's Lehman or silver or other producers and uh, distributors. And I think they've all just checked their egos at the door. The fans would end up being able to go to the movies to go see this. So, and even Jake's probably being making a mistake by not saying anything about it. Um, if he's proud of the film, he should get in front of it and say that, you know, but, I think the yeah, ship scared, has sailed, yeah, though, Chip. There's yeah, really not yeah, much they can do about problem. it. The ship has Do- sailed. 
yeah, they're not going to turn. Issue. They're not going to. They're not going to swerve no. away from the Titanic and put it in theaters. So it is what it is. Here, here's the, here's the deal. According to the article, you know, Doug Lehman does have some egg on his face, and there will be some people in the industry that gun, that that are going to look at him and say, you know, that's not really a cool thing to take the dirty laundry public. I mean, if you signed a deal to shoot a movie straight to streaming, right? You knew what you were doing. Now yeah, we you both signed a deal with we the both. Yep. We both have advocated, and I'm proud of the stance that that I've taken over the last few years that I want movies in theaters. And I I also read that this year in 2024, Mike, there's going to be r- roughly 90 theatrical releases, and theater owners are hoping for maybe another five to ten where movies will go from streaming to theatrical. Okay, I guess the question that I ask at least once a month on this program. Is you got the you got the talent, you got the writers, you got the actors, you got the directors, you got the producers. They have a choice between theatrical streaming, and it appears that is that it is a road carved of unlimited opportunity. But again, I go back to the point: who is advocating for the theaters? And and the reason I say that, if you look at the culture as a whole, we both watched the Super Bowl, a hundred and. I think it was 128 million people, if you believe the numbers of Nielsen, if you really believe they can accurately gauge how many people watch. But let's just say that's accurate. That's part of our culture, right? There's certain things part of our culture. When it gets warmer, we'll look forward to baseball, right? right. There's Apple Pie, Chevrolet, there's baseball. NFL football has become an enormous enterprise and part of our culture. Going to a movie theater a Friday, Saturday night was a massive part of our culture. Do these people not care about our culture? Is it all about money and greed? Again, I, I go back to these, these you know the answer to you, you know the answer I, to this. I, I know that I know I know the answer, but the, the answer and the reality of just do what makes you what fills your bank account up and, and not care about a legacy of a hundred plus years. I it does really bother me. It just really bothers me. All right, what other movie news you got? Because we've beaten this theme to a death, I think. Uh, I got I got a couple. This is a couple really good ones. This week in movie history, it's a good one. Oh, wait a minute. You didn't bring up the Greenland sequel. Oh, you want to bring that up? I mean, for the, you know, the fans out there of the original and, and Gerald Parker, I mean, I mean, Gerard Parker. Gerard I mean, Butler. Butler, I mean, he's, uh, he, he's, uh, I mean, the guy keeps churning out movies, and now they make a sequel to actually one of his good ones. Yeah, I mean, Greenland was one of those movies during COVID at the cusp, at the tail end, went into theaters, but mostly was a streaming product. Did very well on uh, streaming. They announced a the sequel. It's yeah, it is, a good, it, is, it is a good movie. They, they announced a sequel, sort of la- uh, stagnated, but now it's going to start filming. What's the goal the of this film, Chuck? That's what, when I hear this, like, what's the goal? Like what? What? What are we doing here? Like what? What are we? Is are we talking two hundred million dollars theatrical run? I mean, or were we talking no, no, Prime no. Video? No, uh, I, I think they'll release it theatrically. Hope to get maybe a forty or fifty million dollar box office take and then put it on stream. Okay. Listen, you go basically what you're doing is you're 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 spinning the tires on the on the for does this movie need to have a sequel? No, no. but but you know uh, it it has name recognition because it struck a semi chord with the uh with, with with the populace so, you know the other other bit of movie news would be uh it is official pedro pasquale and vanessa kirby will be the two leads in marvel's fantastic four 
which I believe will come out the same year next year as Superman uh, Legacy. It, it appears James Gunn, the, the goal over at, uh, oh no, that's a Marvel project. Uh, it, my, my bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's hard but, to I keep mean, them it, all it, straight, Chuck. They're all yeah, over it, the place. It, I, I agree. But you excited about a fantastic, I, I, this cast seems a little bland for me. I don't know. I like him, but Reed Richards, I don't know. I mean, you are you asking me that facetiously? Do you really think yeah, I'm going to yeah. come back to you and say, yes, oh, my God, Fantastic Four. I've been waiting all my life for this. Oh, wait, we just had one about 10 years ago. Uh, you know, I mean, enough is enough is enough. Is I'd like to have movie news where there isn't a superhero involved one week. I know it's impossible to do sometimes, but God almighty, they just keep coming out. It doesn't matter how bad a Madam Web tanks. They'll just keep going to the well. The well's, I guess, not dry yet, Chuck. And then they're going to get good returns on stuff like, uh, you know, Deadpool three and another Spider-Man movie. So they're going to get all confident that, well, we could, we could do more and you can't, it's over. Just move on. They stopped making yeah, I mean, disaster I, movies after a while too. You know, I mean, it's time to, I, I agree, but they're not going it, it, it just bothers me because there's probably plenty of screenwriters out there that just banging their heads against the wall. Can't figure out why their great script can't get made. Yeah, good point, because Madam, Madam Webb was an $80 million production budget. They could have made four probably really good movies with good scripts for $20 million apiece. Do you right? think when Instead, they when what you think when the producers cast Dakota Johnson, they were excited? They're like, oh, yes, we got her. That That's 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 the star. I mean, come on, man. They're they're just not they're clueless. They're just clueless. They don't well, know Sony, what they're doing. So Sony with these Spider-Man spinoff films have, have been completely in uh utterly clues i mean venom hit but well and like, the and the animated i mean the spider-verse movies are great and they're, yeah they're hitting no, but those that, but i spy that actually is spider-man like right, spider-man right. the character peter parker are, are in those, those films to do a spider-man universe movie and peter parker and spider-man is not included other than venom i understand because venom had a lot more popularity in the overall comic canon but Madam Web, like who the heck is like you know 99.9 percent right. of everybody that's breathing like who's that like, plus, so plus, he, plus, he had, Venom had Venom had the benef, Venom had the benefit of coming out when the the arrow was still going up on these movies. Now the arrow's going down, and you put out a movie like this. I mean, come on, what are we doing? Agree. All right, yeah, what are you gonna? You got one. this day TV well, history. What do we got? Movie uh, history. Uh, Rich no, Man, Poor Man, All the Family. What do we got this week? <laughs> You're gonna like this one. February fifteenth, nineteen eighty five. The Breakfast Club opens in theaters. Listen to this, Mike. They shot that movie. The production budget was one million dollars. Wow. Winds up grossing fifty-five million. Coins the phrase "Brat Pack." John mm -hmm. Hughes directs. Emilio Estevez, Molly Ringwald, Judge. Remind, uh, remind Judge everybody. Nelson, uh, remind everybody what year that came out. Nineteen eighty-five. Yeah, that's unbelievable. A great movie. Just a great movie. Same year as uh, which was the number one grossing. Yeah, it's uh, just great see, stuff. You see it in the theater. You yeah, see, I, I saw the Breakfast Club in the theater. Yeah, I, I saw it in the theater. It. Loved it. Loved it. I, uh, I thought everybody was great in it. I thought it was. I thought it was near perfect. I mean, look, I'm right in the smack. I was in high school when it happened, so, um, I, I definitely related to all of it and some. Now great I, stuff. I want you. I want you to take out your calculator at home and do this math. Breakfast Club, one million dollar production, fifty five million dollar box office take. Most of that was domestically because those films. They didn't play overseas. You never demand. You didn't have an right, overseas right, market right. that that garnered to see the Breakfast Club. So that box office was U.S. Canada based. So yep. that's a, that's a fifty-five fold on the investment. 
now most movies lose money until they go into the streaming market theatrically. A lot of them, at least half of them, will lose, will will be in the in the in the in the red until they see uh, streaming, Blu-ray, DVD, cable, all these after aftermarket life. It's a very different animal. Here's it one sure more. Is. The Silence of the Lambs opens this week, February 14th, 1991. This week in movie history, one of the rare films to garner five, the five major Oscars. Anthony Hopkins wins Best Actor for, I think it's like 16 minutes of screen time. It feels like he's in the whole movie, though. And Jodie Foster is Clarice Stalling. You can't get better. When they, when they cast that film, that was like, like a Perfect. whole, that was a grand, a grand slam home run casting. Yep. No. Yep. Yep. Top to bottom grand. So, uh, you know, from, from, uh, you know, Scott Glenn too. I mean, everybody is just fantastic. Uh, it, yeah. It's a perfect movie. Look, Hey, you know, here's an idea. Find a great, uh, a source, a book, write a great yeah. screenplay, cast great actors, make a great movie with a great director and history's made. Are they doing that anymore? That's the question. And I don't know if they are, uh, but that is just, that's a perfect storm. Everything lined up, all the planets align. There's not one flaw in any of the processes of making that movie. And if you think the height, about the it. Height, I, remember, I remember when I sat in the theater and watched, I was, I, I saw it opening day by myself. I saw it at the Kingsway in Brooklyn, New York. I remember watching that film and, and I still have the same reaction every time I watch it. It's a great, great movie. It's an iconic film. The movie, when Hannibal Lecter escapes, yeah, that, what a great that, scene. that jail cell, that the movie peaks. It, it is yep. at the highest level of filmmaking. That scene. Now the 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 ending's still very good, but the movie peaks between the second and third act of that film to the highest absolute level of filmmaking by Jonathan Demi, who did an amazing job. One other thing before we get on to our main topic, Burt Reynolds uh, this week would have been 88 years old, and and I read a story about Burt Reynolds that I did not know and I found interesting. When he was offered the role uh, in Boogie Nights as the porn producer, Paul Thomas Anderson uh, asked him to do it. Burt Reynolds said no. And he asked him seven times. And Burt Reynolds said no, because (laughs) Burt Reynolds didn't want to be associated glorifying the porn industry. And then Paul Thomas Anderson said to him, you know, the anger and the conviction that you show me by refusing would get you an Oscar. If you take the role That's and he point. relinquished and he agreed. And then I read that Burt Reynolds started doing research and went to some porn shoots. And he said that he was disgusted uh, and that he, he needed to take a shower after he left the set every day. And the one you're going to laugh at this, the one the one question Burt got on those porn sets is every actor who who was in that industry came over to him and said, how do I get a SAG card? <laughs> but but here but here's here's another thing that I read that bothered me about this story. Reynolds, who was great in that movie, he won a Golden Globe. I think he should have won the Oscar. Okay, Probably. he was great. He was great in that movie. One other than Deliverance and Longest Yard, this is his best role, in my opinion, as a pure actor. As a pure actor, he said he said they said in this article that because he did not embrace the movie and actively publicize it that's the reason he was shunned and didn't ultimately mm. win the oscar what does that have to do with his acting in the movie it doesn't like it doesn't. give me a break no, he, we, I, honestly that would have put the, the cherry on the top of of his very very iconic and interesting career the right. ups and downs of that career were amazing the biggest 
box office of the 1980s. And then he's doing movies like Rent a Cop, right? And nobody's going. <laughs> Don't forget Cop and a Half, all right? And Cop and a Half. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, he's iconic and uh I, you know, politics come into play with the Oscars. And don't worry about that. I mean, obviously, that, that makes perfect sense now why he didn't get the award. But um, another guy who basically had a similar career arc as Burt Reynolds is John Travolta, if you think about it. Uh, 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 Idol, big star. Very much so. Very big much star. So. Went away for a while, came back big time thanks to Quentin Tarantino instead of Paul Thomas Anderson. But uh, Res- he had, I mean, you talk about nine lives. Uh, Travolta's career. Had, he might have used all nine because I don't know how he's going to come back from what he's doing now, playing Santa Claus and TV commercials and things of that nature and these straight-to-streaming movies. I don't know. Maybe he's got another run in him somewhere down the line in the winter of his of his life. I don't know, but this guy's had nine lives, Chuck, and as we go through his ten, my, our ten favorite movies, there's like basically something from each part of his career that all started – Way back when, welcome back, Cotter, right, is when we first uh, remember John Travolta. Let me give you my 10 through 6 of my favorite Travolta films. Um, Phenomenon's not a perfect movie, to say the least, but I would say of all the characters Travolta's played in his entire career, this character might be the most likable um, of all. He's the one you want to give a hug to. Right. He is a guy that I want to know that guy and have him in my life forever. Um, again, a movie doesn't know where to go with the powers that he has. And Duvall puts in a great performance and the love story here is Cedric. But I, the movie mm-hmm. just fell, fell flat at the end because it really didn't have a point and has a bummer of an ending that just doesn't make any sense to me. But the character of Travolta and his performance garnered getting phenomenon into the top 10 for me. I put Look Who's Talking at number nine. I thought he added a lot of comic uh, fun to the movie about Bruce Willis talking as a baby. Kirstie Alley, very good as well. This was, you know, part one of a resurrection of a career where he went away for a little bit, um, made a bad movie with his wife and, and couldn't get cast at all. And then took this little picture, which I would imagine producers didn't expect it to become the phenomenon that it did. Um, lands at number nine, the other two movies that he made in the series, nowhere near the top 10, but look who's talking is a fun family movie that has a lot of good laughs and he's very very appealing in it. So that's my number nine, his deadpan impersonation of bill Clinton in primary colors is my number eight A sharp movie about politics in the nineties. Uh, Emma Thompson basically plays Hillary Clinton as well. This is a really good movie with Billy Bob Thornton. And I thought, uh, this was one of his finest performances, uh, basically playing bill Clinton, good courtroom drama, a civil action, which got great performances with Robert Duvall and James Gandolfini in it as well. It's about, uh, uh, a major claim up against a big time company uh, poisoning the water. I think it was the waters, right, Chuck? It was a, just a just a it, real it good a gritty, gritty uh, courtroom drama about a small town with people getting cancer, much like Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, it's very much was, like Aaron, right? Very much so. And he, he gives a lot of heart as a cocky lawyer who just comes to terms with the fact that these people are really hurting in this town and is a really good confrontation with him and Robert Duvall at the end of the movie that's shines above all. It's a real good movie, civil action. And number nine, number six, Pulp Fiction didn't quite make the top five for me, Chuck. He's great in it. Don't get me wrong. I think he's fantastic. I understand, I understand why. And yeah. and he and he uh he deserves all the recognition that he got with the comeback and Quentin Tarantino casting him. The movie's a near perfect movie as well. I just thought 
um, maybe a little bit overhyped. He plays the character a little bit under underplayed, let's say the least. I think everything else is great in the film. I think he rode the wave of all of that to, you know, to me to point him out uh, and say he's better or he stood out more than Samuel Jackson, Bruce Willis or, or any of the characters in that movie. I thought that was an undersell for all the other actors in it. Yeah, it was it, a comeback I, story. Angle. It was a That's comeback story, was, but it, oh, yeah. it, it's a, it's a great movie. It's not in my top uh, five, but I mean, it, top 10 for sure. Phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Look who's talking. Primary colors of civil action and Pulp Fiction. Again, kind of rides the waves of different points in his career, Chuck. And uh, this is, you know, when primary colors, civil action and phenomenon were out, he nobody was hotter than you wanted to cast John Travolta. You needed him in a movie. Yeah, you know what's interesting when you brought up the video with his wife. I remember going to the video store sometime in the '80s and seeing the box cover to the to that movie. It was called The Experts, yep. right? And with- and I I was and he, he, that was the in between his his hot period and then his very cold period. Then he dropped. And off I'm like, time. and I said, I said, this is before social media and internet, and I had to go to the newsstand to pick up Variety to get you know real movie news, and that was once a month, right? So I see this box cover and I'm sort of perplexed. I'm like, why is it John Travolta movie not in theaters, but the DVD shelf or video VHS shelf? And I, I was I remember being perplexed by that. And his career certainly extremely interesting. The ups and downs and the reinvention, like all major talent other than Tom Cruise, Mike, every actor has reinvented himself uh, over the period of a very long career. I mean, Sylvester Stallone, I'll tell you that. Take a deep breath from my number 10. Uh, is okay. it Gotti? Uh, no, no, no. It, I, I wanted to do one of his sort of B-ish movies that I liked, and I got to tell you, I do like I Am Wrath. I, li- I like that film. It's a Death Wish uh, w- wannabe, and and I and he plays a character. Uh, he plays a character in this film who has to uh, exercise revenge when his wife is murdered, a la uh, Death Wish. And what I like about it is directed by Chuck Russell who yep. did Elm Street 3 in the blob. He's a very competent, really good, underrated director. This film is well-made. Believe it or not, they shot it for $18 million. It was supposed to go theatrical, wound up being streamed. I think it made like $280,000 theatrically, so it lost a boatload of money. But Travolta is good in it. Chris uh, Malini uh, is a co-star. He's good in it. Rebecca De Mornay plays the wife that gets off in the beginning of the film. You've already set talked up about the, uh, this movie way too, way too much. You've already talked about it way too much. So that's my number ten. My number nine. <laughs> my my number nine. One of Travolta's first four tays into the villain is big uh, paycheck roles. Broken Arrow from '96. This is to me a, a ton of fun. Christian Slater, Samantha Mathis, Tra- Travolta plays the the main heavy. He's hamming it up, but he's really good hamming it up. That's my number nine. Number eight, I did go with Phenomenon, one of his more likable performances, playing the character of George Malley. Uh, number seven, I went with uh, Edna Turnbull in Hairspray, 2007. I got to mm. tell you, Mike, I adore I adore this movie. I love movie. this movie. He's having an absolute blast. He's he went all in. Yep. He went all in. And when you go all in and you connect, it works. And this movie works. And my number six, I went with Get Shorty from 95, Chili Palmer. Uh, plays a low-level Miami mobster that uh, meets low-level Hollywood filmmaking. Good dialogue, very good script, something to really sink his teeth into. Um, and it's a really solid film from 95. All right. Well, uh, go through those 10 through 6 again, see if anything pops out at me. The sure. I Am Wrath was 10, uh, don't I remember. Fa- don't, don't, 
<laughs> don't sleep on <laughs> I am Wrath. <laughs> yeah, number 10, I am Wrath. Number nine, Broken Arrow. Number eight, Phenomenon. Number seven, Hairspray. And number six, uh, Get Shorty. Five through one, a lot of good picks, Mike. A lot of good picks. And we'll start with my number five, the Brian De Palma classic blowout um, about a, a movie sound editor who hears the assassination of a, pol- a politician and the the chase that happens around it that involves a hooker and John Lithgow as a killer and uh, just great uh, bicentennial parade at the end of the film done in slow motion with an unbelievable score as well. This is actually one of Brian De Palma's best films, uh, untouchables aside. And I thought Travolta very uh, powerful in this because this was done like right after Saturday night fever and people didn't know what kind of movies we were going to get out of Travolta. And he makes a movie like that. I think audiences were a little thrown off by the stylistic movie that this became, um, and the performance he gives, but boy, is it really, really good with a phenomenal ending as well. Uh, I love blowout Chuck. And I know you do too. too. I'd be surprised if it wasn't one of your top five. It's my number one. And I'm going to tell you why it's my number one and, and why I'm glad you put it on your top five. He did this film uh, after Greece. So he has Saturday Night Fever, makes him a huge, huge uh, movie star, right? He gets Greece. He has control of Greece in terms of casting. He's able to write his own ticket. So what does he do? He does this film for Brian De Palma. Mm-hmm. And this is not a movie star vehicle. What I love about this film, when you watch it, and it holds up beautifully to this it day. Does. It he does. Plays a sound, he plays a low-level sound tech in this film and he basically envelops his character on a very low-key level and it doesn't you know what it almost it almost reminds me of the same feeling i have when i watch the thing with kurt russell like kurt russell's a star right but when you watch a thing he just feels part of an ensemble in blowout travolta honestly when he's on screen with nancy allen he feels no more of a star than Nancy, Nancy Allen in this yeah. film. He yeah. just fits. He's playing yep. a character. It's a character. He's playing a character and he does so well. The stardom is all gone. In, yeah. He's in not Vinnie Barbarino at all. He's not, not at all. No, Danny Zuko. He's, he is. You're right. He's not an Italian kid from Brooklyn in this movie. He's not. Then uh, that's, what's great. It's about not, it's, film. it's, 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 it's what it is. It's Brian De Palma's blowout. It's yeah. not John Travolta above the title. In, blow, in blowout. Yes. Right. Yeah, Good point. exactly. What's your number five? My number five is 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 Greece. Danny Zuko. My number four, by the way. My number four. This so is this talk. is a as entertainment uh, vehicles go. You're not going to find a movie more entertaining than Greece back in 1978, the biggest grossing film of that year. Uh, he handpicked uh, Olivia Newton-John as Sandy. Really, was not an actress. Was a <laughs> pop singer. Uh, <laughs> And and their chemistry was was stuff of movie magic. Um, it's I mean, just a, think it's just how a good, great, highly entertaining movie. And he's just awesome think how it. good the 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 project has to be when you got a bunch of thirty year olds playing high school kids, and it doesn't even matter. And you're singing and dancing and having a great time in theaters. I remember I was seven years old, and my dad said we're going to see this movie because they had seen it on my mom and dad had seen it on Broadway. So they and obviously grew up in the fifties and we're right. like, come on, what are we going to, why are we yeah. seeing this movie? I mean, it's the guy from Saturday night fever. It's, it's a musical. We don't, you know, I remember as a kid, like, I guess we'll see it. It sounds, and it becomes part of Americana lexicon and part of my childhood. You cannot turn, you're the one that I want on and, and not sing along to it. Um, he's funny. He's having a blast. 
All the characters around him are fantastic as well. I mean, when he's singing Grease Lightning, it, that wasn't even in the play. Um, just think about the language in that movie. And I'm an eight-year-old kid and everybody in the mm-hmm. theaters, you know, all these kids that love Grease Lightning, it, just listen to the lyrics. But it doesn't matter because that's that's when it transcends, right? That's when you know a performance and an actor and a, and a movie you could do, they could do whatever they want in that movie because they just had great source material with a heck of a lot of fun. Um, and, and an R rated song could land in, and a lot of R rated jokes, let's face it in this movie that, yes, that land, um, you know, Rizzo gets pregnant for crying out loud. Right. So, um, but any of really, it. but, but it appealed to the kids of that generation more, almost more oh, than listen, the parents of that generation. When, I, when I, when I was a little kid, uh, in my neighborhood, when I grew up in Brooklyn, there were people a little bit older than me, like, you know, it was the 17, 18 year old kids. This played at the Avenue movie theater where I used to go all the time. And the ticket price to get in was low. I think it was like yeah. a buck. Yeah. It was like a buck, right? There were kids in my neighborhood, Mike, I kid you not, going every night to this movie. They must have sort 40, 50 times. And the learn all the words and the, and the yeah. album itself, the number one hits yeah. on it as well. And then yeah. America's Sweetheart from Australia. Sean and Ah, Blue Sean Moon. Sean and you know? in it too. Um, yeah. You got Sid Caesar and Eve Arden, to, with, you know. Uh, and listen, I will say this, and then we'll move on to your number four. Um, sure. Do not overlook Grease 2. It is a lost classic. Rob, tell me. It, a what? A lost it is a what? lost classic. Go back and watch it. It is fun <laughs> as hell. Now, classic? I don't want to get it. Yes, I'm telling you, I am not overselling you. Go back and watch it. Go back and watch. Okay. it's better than I am wrath. I can tell you that much. I know. I that apologize. Much. I apologize to the listening audience. Mike has a hangover. I'm okay. telling you, go go watch yeah. it. I'm, when was the last time you sat down and watched it? Exactly. Uh, exactly. Go go it's back. It's been and a little while, it. but I, I I remember the last time I watched it. I had to make a choice in my mind. I said, "What's more flat, this movie or my pancakes?" <laughs> it's not flat. I don't know. It's not flat oh. at all. Okay. What's your number all four? Right. It's Pulp Fiction, uh, Vincent Vega. Uh, yep. Listen, it is a come, it is a comeback story, and and you know, you it's interesting. In ninety four, Pulp Fiction, we talked about this many a time. Shawshank Redemption and Forrest Gump. What an amazing I mean, year! On. And and you know, you could argue Pulp Fiction has one of the greatest scripts uh, of of any ever. movie, certainly ever. made in the in nineteen nineties of ever. It is a, it's a great great script the only you know the, the only i don't want to say tarnishment for me the only time the only reason i've never done a revival of pulp fiction back on the big screen is i always cringe at the gimp scene with Vin Grimes. Yeah. i do like i yeah. it's just like it it's just it's hard to watch it is but the, but, but the payoff of the gimp scene is so it, it, oh and listen it bruce is, willis you could argue was never he's better just movie, as good right? as he as travolta oh, every just one of them good are. yeah every one of them are but listen yep. to see to see travolta back on the high horse you know after amazingly if you think about if you do if you just reflect in the last 15 minutes of what we talked about saturday night fever which which i'll mention in a minute uh uh, grease blowout and then and then the guy the guy's career is is in is is in you know never never landed for a while it never like how did that how did that happen it's just really weird it is i don't know i i I only believe some of his beliefs might have gotten away of some of the movies he made you know the career he wanted that that's all i'll see i'll leave it at that but Um, i I will say i will say this what pulp fiction did for travolta is it got him a decade of of 20 million dollar paycheck great movies movies. yeah i mean you know it, it Including the one that I have number three, and I know you're a big mm-hmm. fan. It's probably in your top three, and that's the action movie Face Off opposite Nicolas my, Cage. My number what a, two. 
What a fantastic action movie. And, you know, we talk about the action and the direction of John Woo and the storyline and all this. And there's some just great action pieces. But watch the performances by it's John Travolta. It's his best script. And this a great script. script for an American yep. movie. And, and watch the, the performances of Travolta and Nick Cage, who have both now fallen into that straight-to-streaming world. But the impersonations they do of each other are dead on. Dead on, especially cages of Travolta. I just, it's amazing the performance he gives. But Travolta is just so good. And, you know, both these guys, Chuck, and the, the the key to this movie in their career could play bad guys and good guys, and they're both appealing and they're both great along the way. And they found two actors for this movie that people will root for for twenty minutes and then hate for twenty minutes and then root for them again. You couldn't cast this any better. And that's the no. that's the greatness of Travolta. He has that little twinge of darkness to him which worked in movies like uh you had brought up broken arrow and and swordfish even swordfish is one of those dichotomy of a role of the, is he good or is he bad but that's what's perfect about what they do is you have two actors at the top of their game who you like them a lot in movies and 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 you're and you root against them a lot in movies and it was perfect for face off i got a question it's my number two i got a question for you when they shot this film i don't know the background story but do you think Travolta and Cage sat in a room yeah, with, with, with so. Wu and basically yep. said, okay, you're going to play the same character this way and you're going to play it that, you know what I'm saying? And like, it's so I mean, smart too for Wu. It's a fascinating to not do, film. Yeah, and it's so smart to not do any prosthetics or any makeup or anything. They just, you, you got to trust the audience to just buy that they're different people right now. You don't have to do all that other crap and, 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 mm-hmm. and make it look phony. And then that's what's brilliant about the film. And uh, again, uh, his his dead on impersonation in Nick Cage is uh, is really really good, and it's your number two. So what's your number it's, three? Is probably my number two. It's Saturday Night Fever. That's my number two. Yep. Now let let's just for the audience that's that's listening. This is a unique film in the respect that it was a massive 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 hit for a hard R rated movie, and this is in the annals of of, of film. Uh, this is the only movie that I can remember. That Ever. It was so popular Ever. that the studio recut it to a PG version, re-released it the same year that it came out, and it and it garnered a whole new audience of younger people who was not allowed to see the R R rated version. And let's face it, it probably in modern times it would just be a PG thirteen movie. I mean, it it has a lot of harsh language, but let's face it. I mean, there's harder stuff in PG-13 movies. You watch the original R-rated movie from 78. I mean, I mean, there's some there's some subject matter that might be sketchy. Well, but, but here, 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 I'm not gonna give I'm not gonna give, go into graphic detail. But there's a scene in this film on on the bridge with Donna yeah. Pescow in a car. Yeah, that that's the scene. It's yes. a little bit. It's a little bit much. No, right. You right. could argue it's a little bit much. It's that a makes little the bit. Movie it's not a, hard. hard. It's a little hard, bit. Hard. It, yeah, it's a little bit bad, Lieutenant. When he pulls over the two girls in the car, it's a little bit that. Can we say that? Yeah, I would, I would, I would agree. Listen, this movie, John Bannum, who went on to direct Blue Thunder with Roy Scheider, he's a really talented director. He also did The Hard Way with uh, Michael J. Fox and, and James Woods. Listen, this movie struck a nerve, and when, it, like we talked about in the beginning of the show, the the Bee Gees, uh, that that soundtrack, Mike, is you know iconic. played on the radio and no, yeah. iconic and. That soundtrack fueled a lot of success in this film. Disco, Travolta coming off the, the popularity of Welcome Back, Cotter. There were a lot of things. You think that's you, a lot, a lot you, of stars aligned here? 
you'd think when the producers of uh, Welcome Back Hotter saw the movie for the first time, they're like, ah, oh, man, our, we're done. <laughs> right? They're, they're probably like, well, we lost him. We'll try to bring in that good-looking guy with the blonde hair, but, oh, they probably yeah, said, yeah. We, this series is over, folks. And then, you know, the whole Gabe uh, Kaplan situation where he left his show and the wife was teaching got a little silly. But it was the death of Welcome Back, Hotter was the success. Yes. And, and listen, to tri- if, if you look at, the, if you, look at you know, popular uh, actors and actresses who hit big on television, the, trans- the transition into film is not always. Look at David Caruso, right? Right. Uh, Right. It, no, it's you're not. Right. It's, I mean, even even Clooney initially, like it took it took. Believe it or not, I know we're bouncing into something, but from dusk till dawn, which is took theoretically a, a B a B movie, that's the movie that where people looked at Clooney and said, "Holy smoke, this guy." Although can, I think uh, be different. I, I think the Peacemaker is a better movie than people remember, and that was really one of his first action movies as well with it, Nicole Kidman. But I don't think it made him a star, though. No, it didn't. It certainly didn't. And, and you know, it Michael J. Fox, time. similar, right? Michael J. Fox was still doing the series, big smash with Back to the Future, right. and he stayed with the series, you know, until it played out, which, uh, right. you know, Travolta never mm-hmm. really did. So, um, right. although I don't think Michael J. Fox ever had that quite that superstardom of a Travolta, um, Outside, you know what I'm saying? Outside of that Back to the Future um, franchise. And how dare you bring up John Badham and not bring up War Games, by the way. But anyway. Oh, and of course, War Games. I mean, uh, but see, I I Saturday Night Fever. I'll make, make, make you a deal. I'll apologize for not bringing up Bannon <laughs> who directed War Games. If you apologize for Grease 2, uh, it's I a can't classic. do it. I'm telling you, people, what? go back and watch it. It's it's a fun, fun movie. Um, and, and, mm. uh, and it holds up. I'm telling you. Um, yeah, Saturday Night Fever, my number two. Uh, for all the reasons you said, great soundtrack, uh, disco, dancing. He learned everything from Danny Terrio. Let's not forget, without uh, Saturday Night Fever, we would have never had the TV series Dance Fever for a little bit too, Chuck, True. with Danny Terrio and Adrian's Med and uh, that legend of that show. Um, we wouldn't have had a lot of stuff that we had. Probably disco well, let, lasted let, a lot let, longer let me, than it should have because me, of Saturday Night Fever. Let me ask you a question in, in, in closing here. How many how many lives does this Travolta cat have? Can he, can he, can he, can he make I don't another comeback? I mean, 69 is not that, he's not that old. He's no, not he's that not. old. And he he's looks not. good. I did not reveal my number one and your number one was, oh, was what? Blowout. Blowout. Well, here, my, my, well, let me do I, my number one. Cause you brought it yeah. up in your top 10. My number one is Chili Palmer and get shorty. I think okay. that he's never been more confident on the big screen ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he got. Really, and this came right after Pulp Fiction. I thought he was better in this than he ever was in Pulp Fiction. He should have got an Oscar nomination for this. So confident, so uh, funny too. A guy, a hitman, who wants to be a movie producer, and and the mm-hmm. way he bounces some of his cut. And I mean, you know it. Some of his uh, scenes with Gene Hackman are just the look at me, look at me, look at me. And then and then Hackman tries to do it to Dennis Farina. <laughs> It's just some funny stuff on Elmore Leonard novel uh, that gets shorty is my number one. Chili Palmer is my favorite performance by Travolta. And he got robbed of, of uh, not getting any awards for this and the sequel, not quite as good, not even nearly as good. Just doesn't have that magic of the original, but uh, it does have a good dance scene with Uma Thurman in it to, to relive. All right. So let's go through our top 10 again. Why don't you start? Uh, my number 10 is I am wrath. My number nine, broken arrow, eight phenomenon, seven hairspray, six, Get Shorty, number five is Grease, number four, Pulp Fiction, number three, Saturday Night Fever, number two, Face Off, is num- and number one, 
Blowout. And for the audience, I got a feeling a lot of people may have never seen Blowout. Yeah. Go watch it. Uh, it's a great movie. Phenomenon, my number 10, Look Who's Talking, number nine, Primary Colors, eight, Civil Action, seven, Pulp Fiction, six, Blowout, five, Grease, four, Face Off, three, Saturday Night Fever, two, and Get Shorty, number one. And I'm, I just recently watched The General's Daughter, you know, which somehow made a ton of money. Uh, not a very good movie, but he's so good in it, Chuck. He, there's a lot of movies in there. I like that film. I yeah, like that mixed film. in like basic with Samuel Jackson. You know, mm-hmm. it, you can find some lost treasures of Travolta. If MDB, and, and, the, and listen, Ladder 49 that he did with Joaquin yeah. Phoenix. I think that's a pretty solid film also. And I think that might be his last time of just being part of a big major studio. movie. Yeah, I would, I, I would agree. Yeah. As much as I have a semi love, for I am wrath. You could argue Ladder 49. It's probably a little bit of a better film. All right, Chuck, that'll do it, Travolta, this time around. Uh, We'll do it all over again next week. To the audience, thank you very much for listening. Mike, always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Movie Moments with Chuck Curry and Mike Rags. Download and listen to an archive show, or be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts to hear our new episode. 